It's time for another Nebraska Prep Zone Report, a podcast from the World Herald. We are sponsored today by MD West One, Nebraska's most advanced sports medicine, orthopedics, neurosurgery, and spine care, covering greater Omaha for over 70 years. I'm your host, Jake Anderson. Joining me as always is the wonderful Mike Sauter. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing very good, Jake. How are you doing today? I have no complaints. But I know that you do, so we're just going to go right into the breaking news that happened right before we were about to start recording. The NSAA board approved putting all 24 eligible Class A teams, obviously OPS is not playing this fall, they're putting all 24 teams in the football playoffs starting the postseason in Week 9, and the NSAA staff will form a seating committee, and again, this broke right before we were about to go on the air so what's your initial reaction Mike um kind of thought they'd end up doing something like that they really need to do something because you have teams like Bellevue West who lost two games already if they lose another one or two or whatever um lost lost two games off their schedule yeah off their schedule so if they if they lose more than that then what do you do and wild card points are hard and all that so as long as they get a fair representation of kind of the whole state and of people that watch a lot of uh, Class A football or if it's coaches maybe or something like that, um, I guess I'm for it. Cool. Try something new. See if it'll work. Might as well. It's 2020 and, you know, but a lot of things are new. What do, you, what do you think the bracket will look like? Do you think it'll be a bye week for top eight or – Probably something like that, I would imagine. I mean, a 24-team bracket's hard. 16's obviously ideal. Um, I, I, I'm guessing you'd probably give a – oh, gosh, man. I don't know if people want to have a bye, you know? Like, I, I just don't know. Or maybe do they go kind of like they've done with eight-man in the past and um, play on Tuesdays and all that stuff. Um, just kind of mix up Tuesdays, Thursdays. Now, eight man is going to move to Fridays this year, um, but and that was already done. So I, I don't know. I guess you you could give everyone a buy. Could you could you maybe um, have play in kind of games? I guess would be a thing. Um, that, that's basically giving the top eight a buy. Um, bunny bracket maybe is a thing where you do. Uh, uh, two games with four teams that kind of play into the overall tournament. Um, I don't know. It, it could be – there's a bunch of different options. It'll be interesting to see how what the plan ends up being. Are there any of the middle-tier teams that this could benefit, give them a boost, that it's not a normal playoff structure? You know, in most years, the 12-seeded team would have to play the five, and, you know, that's probably chalking it up to – a more than likely easy loss, but in this case, they're maybe getting an easier round one team can go on a roll. Yeah. Uh, look at a team like um, uh, Miller North, maybe something like that, that has started 0-3, but is, isn't, a, you know, a bad team. Uh, their schedule has just been a gauntlet. So maybe a team like that could benefit from, from this kind of a scheduling or, or playoff type schedule. Um, you know, maybe a Papillion who has, um, a lot of really good athletes and uh, maybe maybe a team like those two, maybe a Lincoln East um, could be a team also that 
could benefit from that. North Star has won a few games here now, and um, they, those those kind of teams in that middle rung could uh, could certainly benefit, I think, from um, not having to play one of the top, you know, four or five teams in the state. It'll be interesting to see how the committee they form, what their criteria is, how much they factor in wild card points, which was obviously how they determined the bracket years prior. How much does that still carry in? How much is it kind of, like you said, a kind of coach's poll that, okay, well, we played Miller North. Yeah, they're 0-3, but they're better than their record. It'll be really interesting to see how they do seed teams. Well, hopefully whoever's on it does the eyeball test more than anything else, right? So that's um... – I'm sure a lot of the transitive property of this team beat this team by this many points. So that means this other team's better and stuff will probably play into it. I I don't know. Um, hopefully that doesn't uh, because you just don't know the certain situations within a week and who's healthy and who's not and who had kids on, um, you know, quarantine and stuff for a week or two and who didn't and what players were they if they were and, you know, there's so many different factors that could roll into that, but um, it, we'll see. I I don't know. You know, I mean, maybe um, maybe they do like a NCAA tournament um, basketball selection type of thing where they have certain standards that they want to go through or or meet, and then the, whoever's on the committee discusses. I I don't know. Yeah, again, it'll be interesting to see what happens. A couple other pieces of news to hit. First, um, increased fans at Metro Conference games. Officials said a family's purchasing permit now will allow six family members per participant, and FRC games will now be student sections. Right. Um, that's. I mean, that's pretty good for home teams, right? <laughs> um, uh, it it was weird the first couple of weeks with no real student sections at the you know bigger schools uh, or those games that I went to it, it was odd it was quiet um, and and that's not normal um, but nothing in 2020 has been real normal uh, I you know I, I'll be interested to see you know Millard South Bellevue West is a big game huge game um, and it'll be interesting to see just how many you know students show up the hundred seniors a visiting team gets and all of that it, it'll be it'll be uh, pretty pretty interesting to see and feel like it's um sort of back to normal um which which obviously is a good thing what what have you seen attending games this year the sparse crowds are they staying socially distanced yeah i i don't i didn't really see a problem uh with that at all um it, it felt like people were following the guidelines or rules that were set out at the certain places. Um, a couple of places I've been to for games didn't have really any restrictions. Um, so, you know, they're doing what they're asked and doing what they're told. So it's, um, I, I guess as long as they're, as long as they, if they have a rule in place, great, follow them. If they don't, then you don't have to follow them. I mean, it's, it is what it is. Do you think it's smart, this this new – do you think – I mean, having student sections and having, you know, larger crowds, do you think it's smart? Well, the student section thing – so I talked to a, a Class C1 uh, principal this summer, and we were talking about, you know, football and how that's going to work. And, uh, 
This was in June, July. And I brought up student sections and he said, well, they're in school all day together anyway. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. You know, like, I mean, they are like, students are in the same school building all day. Um, like, what's the difference between that and, and having a student section? Not a lot. Um, so, but they are close quarters, basically next to each other. That'll be interesting to see if they kind of spread them out or make them be separate, which would be hard because of big numbers and I, you know, and, and cheering and, you know, jumping up and down, doing all those things. That'll be really, really, really hard to um, navigate that. I think if they, if they do plan on doing that, but like I said, if they're in school together already, um, kind of what's the difference, right? Yeah, that, that's a good comparison because I think for a lot of people who think back to their high school days, you know, especially in the larger Omaha Lincoln schools, what's the difference between a student section and the passing period? I mean, right. Not, not a lot. Crowded in a small space, usually people loud yelling in hallways, depending on the time of day, and then loud in a student section. Right. And that, I mean, they should... Uh, that's, that was my experience. And, um, I guess my senior year, that was my experience. I, that's something that I said when this first kind of started and there wasn't going to be student sections, um, you know, that experience that you remember of just being a student and having some school pride and cheering on your team or friends or classmates, um, those things are kind of important. That's the kind of mental health side of things that we don't talk about enough, um, in my opinion. I mean, um, there's, there's kids that aren't playing, you know, COPS, and those kids are uh, virtual learning and not being at no social interaction and no interaction with their coaches or mentors or people that um, actually um, – you know, mean a lot to those kids and can help them in some cases even survive. Um, so that's the part that we just, I, I think, I mean, people talk about it, but not, not, not enough. Um, so, um, you know, having a student section and that is fun. I mean, kids uh, look forward to that. There's themes of dress up like this if you can and all that. I mean, th those are the kind of fun things that uh, high school experiences that, uh, kids need specifically now that we've gone through um, however many months of uh, trying to stay as socially distant as possible. I agree with that and I couldn't have put it any better myself that that will be something to remember um, the first time that an outbreak is tied to a student section and and you know there there are benefits and there are drawbacks to doing it. And right right I, I it'll be interesting to see if they can actually trace it back to if, if there was something, if they're at a, with a, within a student section, it'd be interesting to see if the, if it's actually traced back to that or not, or if it's school or whatever. Um, I do know this. I mean, as far as actual football being played, um, the, it, coach Freund at uh, Omaha Westside this summer gave me a great number of statistics when he, when he talked about just the actual physical touching and breathing and uh, breathing on each other. If you look at linemen, um, there's um, uh, what, 32 minutes in a high school game. And uh, 
I think it was something like 12 and a half minutes is linemen actually like touching each other, blocking each other, um, or lined up next to each other uh, as far as opposing teams are concerned. And really on any offensive or defensive play, it usually lasts what five seconds or less as far as linemen blocking each other. So the actual contact isn't that great. If you take the actual time uh, into consideration, which, um, you know, if you break down film and all that, that's, that's, uh, those are good numbers that, that he shared with me. So, um, and it'll be, it'll be, you know, in a couple of weeks, uh, to see how it all kind of shakes out, maybe, you know, even middle, late next week, if there's a, you know, spike in cases or something like that because of this. But like I said, kids have been in school together. Um, so it, it kind of should have already happened already, I think, um, if it was going to happen. Yeah. And a few recruiting notes to hit first. The big one, the recruiting dead period extended until January. So what that means is you will have a majority of kids committing sight unseen. Yeah. Um, it's not great. (laughs) Um, you know, January one, and that's just when they'll talk about it again is January one, not, um, not when it's going to officially be opened back up. So you do have kids that can't go visit campuses or kids that are like on the fringe, right? Like I'm talking football and basketball, I guess here you have uh, kids that have division two offers or, uh, division two schools, some division two schools are allowing kids to go out and um, are allowing, I guess, in-person or kids on campus at least to do campus tours uh, with the admissions department. I know even uh, like uh, University of South Dakota is allowing that and they're a, a division one school. So um, the, the division two schools that kind of can still recruit in person and the division one schools can't, uh, for the majority of them, if you're a kid that's maybe I'm, I'm talking football here. If you have, let's say you have a bunch of regional division two schools, but the FCS schools like the Dakotas, um, around here, obviously recruit a lot. Um, and you haven't been able to go there for a visit yet. You know, like it's hard. Um, what I think the ultimate, uh, thing will happen is, Kids will end up committing because most kids and parents want to go to the highest level possible instead of the best fit. And uh, we'll just see a – there's already a ton of kids transferring and, and not just – that's not on the kids all the time either. It's a lot of the time coaches maybe misevaluated or, or didn't work out and, and coaches, um, you know, tell a kid they need to find a different home um, or a different place to, to participate or play. Um, those, those situations happen all the time. I, I do think we'll see a, uh, much more so higher increase of transfers, uh, after, you know, in, after the 2021, you know, football season and 21, 22 basketball season, I, I, I think we'll see that number just rise and it's already pretty high. Um, so I think it'll just get higher because kids just won't have the opportunity to go. Uh, visit a place or or see where they want to spend their next you know four years of their life four or five 
It, it makes sense to me because it seems like what they're trying to prevent is what we've seen on a game day in Lincoln where there are 100 extra kids on the sidelines on a big recruiting day. It seems like they're trying to prevent events like that. But to have an overarching rule where, you know, yeah, we're not, we're doing unofficial in-person visits like the infamous Thomas Fedone trip to Lincoln it seems like there should be a way to find the happy medium, the middle ground to let kids, you know, not just do a virtual tour of their future destination. Yeah. See, one thing I thought that they would do is maybe suspend the actual coaches going out to evaluate. Um, let's say go to games or go to high schools and stuff. I thought that they would kind of not do that. But in the same vein, I thought that they they probably would open it up for uh, game day unofficial visits or maybe even ju- only official visits, which is a far less number than unofficial visits. Um, I, I thought that they might do that for, you know, football and I guess all the other sports in the fall. Um, but uh, clearly that, that didn't happen. So I, I thought there would have that would probably be good. The good kind of happy medium is let let uh let kids go on on uh, on official visits where the you know university or school pays uh the freight for that you know couple days or weekend um that that seem that seems to me to be would have been the smartest play but then again you still you're bringing people in from different states and different counties and um different cities and different uh, COVID numbers are different and different health departments are different, um, you know, everywhere you go. So uh, it, it, it does make sense to just kind of keep it as is, but it, there'll be an influx of transfers just because of this rule. And it stinks for the 2021 class um, because they, basketball wise, they basically lost a summer of evaluation uh, football wise, same thing. And now, um, even, you know, volleyball and cross country and track and, you know, all the, not only that, not only the fall sports, but the winter and spring sports use football games to bring kids in to show them around campus and, hey, this is what our school is like, you know, on a football game day, which is a big deal. And um, they they do that often. So it kind of stinks for, for kids right now and their families. Definitely. Um, the other note we should hit here is James Carney decommitting from Miami of Ohio. That happened over the weekend. As we noted last week, he was waiting on that power conference offer. He got one from Iowa and shortly after he decommitted. What's next for him? Yeah, he, he was waiting on his ultimately. And he, he, he told me this, that he, he discussed with Miami that he, he was more than happy to go to Miami. That would have been great. But he said if he gets two uh, power conference or two really you know, high-level offers, then that will change his plan. And he got an offer from Boise State and Iowa, which are two pretty high-level offers. And so that changes plan, changes mind, and um, kind of opens thing up, things up. I mean, really, like, yeah, he was a solid – commit to Miami but he wasn't like you know nope shutting everything down done um that that's you know not didn't didn't happen so um 
when that doesn't happen, then it kind of, you know, you kind of know the outcome, I think, eventually. Um, I'm sure Miami's going to continue to try and recruit him, and they have a good relationship there. But, you know, Iowa offers no one else has yet. Um, we'll see. I mean, he still is in, you know, talks to Nebraska often and all that stuff. So um, we'll, we'll see how it ends up shaking out for him. But he he clearly has some pretty good options right now. I think it's time to preview some games. What do you think? Sure, that's fine. <laughs> All right. The the big one this weekend, number three, Bellevue West. Again, as you said, they've already lost two games off their schedule, so they come in only 1-0. and And they're traveling to Buell Stadium to face number two, Millard South, 3-0. and What should we expect out of this one? Yeah, the big-time battle at Buell. Um you should expect, or everyone, I guess, should expect a lot of running game from uh, Millard South with TJ Urban um, and Taekwon Johnson. Uh, they're the two kind of leading rushers. Um, it's going to be key. What a couple of keys to the game are: Can Millard South slow down Bellevue West enough? Um, you know, can their defense slow them down enough? Can Antrell Taylor, who's a really super athlete, can he defend Keegan Johnson or uh, whoever he's lined up with? Also, as far as matchups are concerned, you know, who does uh, Jake Gasway is a really good linebacker for Millard South. Who does he defend one of the four in the passing game, right? Who, who does that? Or, um, you know, you, you look at, you look at the matchups, just height, speed, size, all that stuff, and it doesn't look well at all for Millard South um, in the skill positions. But then when you look at the line play, that's where Millard South has an advantage. One, they have a lot more experience um, with Olofsson coming over from Burke. That certainly helps. But they already had Bo Went, Jack Nicholson, uh, Nicholson, uh, are two really, really good linemen um, that that certainly can make a difference. And if it comes down to it, Millard South, Cole Lamo is a really good kicker, probably one of, if not the best in the state as far as, um, as, far as field goal kicking and punting and stuff like that. So um, I, I – Mil- and as far as line play goes, Bellevue West has a really good line, Harry Nichols, is a, a really good offensive lineman. Um, he's probably their, their best one at, at Bellevue West, but he's young. And Miller South has an older veteran big line. Um, defensive line-wise, Caden Camise is really good and a really big and powerful kid for Bellevue West, but he doesn't have a ton of experience. That's why missing or not being able to play three games right now for Bellevue West is big. They've only got that one. Uh, and it was in blowout fashion against Bellevue East. Um, so we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I think the key will obviously be Keegan Johnson. Uh, how much does Bellevue West use him? Uh, maybe a running back or some wildcat, or how, how often do they try and get him the ball early? And if Taylor's the one defending him, it, how does that matchup play out? Um, it's, you know, when you look at it on paper, it's totally a matchup of styles, which obviously 
always is going to happen with Bellevue West. But can Millard South keep up as far as scoring, or can they keep the score under 20 and try and win 17-14 or 21-17 or something like that? Um, if it gets in the 30s, it's probably not going to go well for Millard South. They got to keep the score low. They got to possess the ball, run the ball with uh, Urban, like I said. And, um, you know, Gage Stangers had a really, really nice start to the year at receiver uh, for Millard South. And he's a guy they, they needed someone to step up, and he totally has. So um, it, it'll be interesting. Like I said, if it gets in the 30s, I, it might go bad for Millard South. But I, I don't know. I mean, they're veteran. They're super experienced. Um, they're not going to be scared of anything. Uh, in these big kind of matchup games like that, they haven't found a lot of success uh, in this. This senior class hasn't hasn't kind of punched that ticket real hard, right? Like losing in the semis and stuff like that uh, has happened. They beat a really good Grand Island team last year, which uh, was a nice win. But you know, but beating a team like a Bellevue West, you're going to have to obviously try and keep the ball out of that offense's hands and. This might just be the team to do it. Can always trust you for a nice in-depth breakdown, and you'll have this one covered across the board. It's your Pinnacle Bank game of the week. We'll have it covered as well with Stu Pospisil there. I'm sure plenty of uh, photographers and video action from it. But it's not our only good game of the weekend. In Class A, we also have number nine Creighton Prep 1-1 one and one against number five Lincoln Southeast 3-0. and oh, And I think Lincoln Southeast, bit of a surprise this year. Yeah, uh, you know, clearly the best team in Lincoln. Um, after, you know, a few weeks of play, it, they're clearly the best. Their defense is really good. Jake Apple gets really, really good. Um, you know, McGinnis Schneider um, is a solid enough quarterback. All he has to do really is just throw the ball up to Applegate and let him go get it. Um, Good-sized line play. Um it should be a low-scoring game, I would expect. Um, I, I, I want to say I, I, I think Southeast, obviously, I think clearly has advantage. Um, Prep hasn't played, you know, in, what, two weeks now? Um, it's, it's a matter of how do, you, how do you come back from being quarantined or not playing that two weeks? and not really able to practice that much either. Um, how does prep respond to that? Um, do they, are they fully healthy and everything like that? So I, I just I wonder, you know, if they'll be able to match that. And they have to come out and they have to match Southeast intensity. Those Southeast kids are going to play hard. They're going to be really well coached. Uh, not saying prep's not, uh, but, but they're going to have to match that intensity and, uh, the, the really cool matchup is um, Applegate and, and Alex Bullock. Two really good athletes. Bullock is senior, obviously. Plays multiple positions, and same thing with Applegate. It's, it's, that'll, that'll be a, a really interesting kind of matchup within the game. Definitely. Moving to Class B, we have number two, Bennington, 3-0, and against number six, Omaha Scott, 2-1. and Scott kind of feels like a bit of an underdog coming in here, which feels weird to say. <laughs> Just because they've lost one game uh, to a really good Waverly team, I think. So, um, 
that's a huge game, obviously, I, I think, for uh, just confidence for Bennington. Bennington hasn't won these kind of big games in recent years. Um, I, I would expect a lot of eyeballs would be seeing how that game plays out. B is such a uh, mess, I guess, at the top. I think they're going to all end up beating each other and – Everyone's going to have one or two maybe losses. And, um, you know, Tyler LeClaire is back. He's fully healthy. He's, um, he's you know, he's a, a tremendous athlete. He's, Class B has a lot of really good athletes, and he's right up there if not one of – if he's not one, the best, he's one of the best overall athletes. A running back, linebacker, can play some safety and, and defend, the, uh, defend the pass as well. So, um him and this should be the scut uh game day debut of sam scott after transferring over from um from omaha north this should be the game he didn't play against waverly and didn't play last week i think against scut or if he did it was very minimal um or against gross sorry um those two matching up is that's fun because those two are really good athletes um and uh, that's a, a neat little matchup kind of inside the game. I you know Scott lost that one to Waverly, had a bunch of new faces and guys out um, and, and all of that. And uh, Waverly is a good team and plays really hard. Um, and I, I just – that Bennington game, it'll be interesting to see uh, that LeClaire-Scott kind of matchup is uh is one that I kind of have my eye on I guess and uh can can scut slow down a pretty pretty solid offense um you know they threw the ball around a, a ton last year at Bennington new coach this year kind of same stuff not not changing a whole lot but relying on LeClaire a bunch um so it Games at Scott, not like, you know, any of that stuff matters that much as far as home and away because the crowd size is so small. Um, but I, I, that, one's a, that one's an interesting kind of game to, to read because you have uh, really good athletes, and this is kind of like Bennington can kind of put a stamp on, hey, we belong in this conversation of, of the best in Class B because there's a lot of them, and, and they can put that stamp on it if – if they can get that win. And another matchup that could kind of go toward the best of class B Waverly, which we previously talked about comes in two and one number five in Stu's rankings against number seven, Grand Island Northwest also two and one. This feels like another one of those games teams beating up on each other. And at the end of the year, we look back and they've all beaten each other and, you know. Yeah. I, I think it's a matchup kind of with styles um grand island northwest likes to spread it out but they're really good in the run game in that kind of spreadish offense waverly just wants to line up and run it down your throat and um i i it feels like you know waverly is going to be pretty mad after losing to elkhorn or uh, you know they beat scut and then they lose to elkhorn the week later now they go to northwest uh, Northwest has some really good linebackers. They're going to have to play great. Guys like Aiden Davies is going to have to have a huge game in order for them to uh, be able to compete and win that game. Northwest lost to Bennington in the first game and kind of got handled a little bit in that. So um, they got to be able to stop the run. And, 
you know, that's that didn't go well against Bennington in the first game for Northwest. But Coach Stein's a really good coach. Her staff's really good. Um, you know, maybe got a couple guys back um, that that are athletes that can help with some depth. Um, but it, it's going to be a challenge, really tough challenge for Northwest, I think. Definitely. And we'll be back next week with some more news and notes and another preview of a, a good slate of games. Until next time, thanks for listening. As the official team doctors for high school and college teams across greater Omaha, MD West One Sports Med doctors can get you back into the game stronger than ever. Meet the Sports Med team at mdwestone.com or call 402-390-4111.